We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. We want to welcome back Kara to our podcast this week. And I say welcome back because Kara was one of our very first podcast releases back in June of 2020. Uh And, uh, And it was about CMV. So I am excited to have you back. I really kind of wanted just to have you to expand upon some of that conversation. Based on the conversation that we went back and listened to a year ago, you have Parker, who was seven at the time. So Parker is now eight. And I really just want you to introduce Parker to us as a community and the world and tell us a little bit about your eight-year-old and tell us a little bit about him before we kind of delve into some of this um, CMV stuff. So um, yes, Parker is eight and I will tell you, Parker is an absolute blessing. I mean, truly. Here I am getting emotional already. Um, But he really, truly... um, is a blessing to not only our family, but to all people who come in contact with Parker. Um, You know, Parker was, my pregnancy with him was normal. Um, I didn't realize or know anything about CMB until after Parker was born, had some complications um, after birth, and ultimately, um, you know, got the diagnosis of congenital CMB. We didn't really know what that would mean, and matter of fact, our you know, the neurologist pretty much said, you got to wait about three years and then you can have a better understanding of, of what life means for you and what life means for Parker. Um, and I will tell you, it was um, incredibly scary. It was a very, very scary time because if you look at Google, um, because unfortunately our OBs are not educating us, when you look at Google and you look at that diagnosis, it's very, very, very scary. Parker, I will tell you, he is a thriving eight-year-old little boy. He has, um, he does have some some challenges and some complications, but he is, he's very vivacious. Um, he is pretty much larger than life. I mean, he knows how to command a room um, and he likes to be in command of the room. Um, he was actually just last week, um, the school had a talent show and he was in the talent show for the entire school that was also broadcast virtually and he was telling jokes. He is a comedian. Um, he, he loves to tell jokes. And so, you know, he he does the whole waka waka um, from Fozzie Bear. <laughs> the everybody at school just absolutely adores him. You know, his obviously our family um, adores him and he just brings a different perspective to life. He is very strong he's got a strong personality he is very i don't know i don't want to say bold in the aspect of um or challenging but he is both of those things in a very positive manner um like i said he loves to tell jokes his current thing is captain underpants and he is all about captain underpants so um he told me the other day that um he wanted to go out in a sprinkler with no clothes on and i'm like nope that's not an option (laughs) so Think of 
you know, everything that an eight-year-old little boy is, um, that is Parker with just some um, additional challenges and his challenges stem from um, diagnosis, obviously congenital CMV, but in addition to congenital CMV, he has a diagnosis of cerebral palsy. He has a diagnosis of polymicrogyria. Um, he does have an epilepsy diagnosis. Um, and so, you know, we do have some complications. He has vestibular disorder, he has sensory integration disorder, ADHD. And so while, you know, you think of all of these quote unquote diagno diagnoses of who this child is, and um, he is, yes, that is part of him, but that is not who he is. He is just a very tenacious, vivacious, eight-year-old little boy who loves fart jokes and Captain Underpants and telling, I mean, telling jokes and being the center of attention and loving his family. He is very, very loving and affectionate. Um, you know, one of his favorite things is, you're my best girl. Um, and now you're my best girl can change. It could be mom. It can be the little girl in the classroom. It can be the teacher. It can be, you know, um, his aide that he has. Um, and he loves to give hers. You know, he'll say, I need to give you a purr, like a cat. Um, <laughs> so that's his love language. Um, if he gives you a purr, you know that you are special in Parker's book. And so he just really um, is, a, I don't want to say a force to be reckoned with, but a force to be reckoned with. I mean, he is just um, full of life and brings yeah, so I, much to us. Yeah, I think that's why I wanted you to tell me a little bit about him because I, I have not met him yet and uh, I hope someday to have the opportunity to meet him uh, at some event. But, but I think that what you said is exactly what I was hoping that we would be able to pull out of that is that Parker's Parker and then we you know get to know Parker he expresses himself very well apparently <laughs> with the jokes and the you know the purring and all of that. I love that. And then there's those little other pieces to him, you know, like the CMV and the cerebral palsy and, you know, some of the sensory integration. Um, but those are all very small parts that help make up Parker and who he is. So right. I think that was really important to be able to point out. So we really are going to talk about CMV. And I know that you said you didn't know about CMV prior to your pregnancy and prior to his diagnosis. The doctors had said that really until he's three, you're going to kind of have that right of not really knowing the outcomes or the impact of what CMV does. So as we talk about CMV, I'm, I'm trying to process this as a family who is now receiving a diagnosis and maybe they're sitting in the NICU who just received that diagnosis. And now they're hearing the words, oh, you get to wait till he's three to before you're gonna see what kind of impact it has. And kind of walking through with a family about having to wait those three years to see some of that impact and maybe walking with that piece for now. Okay, so one of the things about congenital CMV that I think might be part of the reason that OBs don't discuss it is because the significantly broad range of impact or effect that congenital CMV diagnosis can have, um, as well as the level of involvement for different children um, can be, can vary so greatly. And so, you know, one in 200 um, births are infected, um, so one in 200 live births are infected with CMV. But that doesn't mean that every single one of those 
babies who is born infected with CMV will be affected by CMV. And the other thing with that is, while it's one in 200 that are born, not all of them are affected, and not up to 90% are not even symptomatic at birth. And so that is a key component as to why I push so hard for education and prevention education is because we're not catching these one in 200 babies that are born with congenital CMV. And there's some really positive things that we can do early with an early diagnosis um, to help positive outcomes in life. And so, you know, a, a baby, Parker was symptomatic at birth. So he was one of 10%. He was not even one of the, the, the majority of, of babies who have congenital CMV. He was the symptomatic baby. You know, Parker, when he was born, while he was symptomatic, he did not have hearing loss. Whereas congenital CMV is the leading cause of sens non-genetic sensoroneural hearing loss, um, but he didn't fail his hearing screenings. That is another complexity of a congenital CMV diagnosis. You have a baby that's in the NICU that has a diagnosis or is getting a diagnosis. That means more than likely that was a, a newborn who had some form of pretty significant impact because they were symptomatic, they were sick. Parker was sick when he was born. Um, he had very, very low platelets. He had um, involvement with his liver and his spleen and just had a lot of those components going on that most babies don't have going on. And so unfortunately, most of the time we don't even recognize when a baby is born if that baby has congenital CMV because unfortunately at this point, we're not screening, we're not educating, and we're not identifying. And so, you know, what typically happens um, for that 90% that are asymptomatic is baby goes home and family believes everything is fine with their, um, you know, that everything is going on with their child as it should be and that child is developing appropriately. But what they start seeing is they start seeing missed milestones. And so, or that baby then not was not sick in the hospital, but then can get really sick really fast. They end up having to go into the PICU or something like that. And so just the scope of congenital CMV is so, so broad. You know, a, a baby can, like I said, be not affected at all, can have a congenital CMV diagnosis and have no complications throughout their lifetime. They can be asymptomatic, receive that diagnosis, have no complications for two months, two years, 12 years, and then develop um, complications. It's progressive. Congenital CMV is progressive. While all of the impact has been done in utero and all of the, um, the damage per se, the, the effect on the large organ, the brain, all of those things happen in utero, so it doesn't continue to manifest, but we may not see the symptomology or the physical until later in life. And so, you know, with Parker specifically for hearing, Parker did not have any hearing loss. Um, luckily, we knew 
that one that he had congenital CMV. So we were, we watched him very, 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 very closely. But Parker has had routine hearing screenings from birth to 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 date, um, every three to six months, and not until last year, no um, March of last year, did we even identify any sort of hearing loss. And so it's uh, almost seven years old is when Parker first had a negative hearing screen that indicated that he had hearing loss. And so, you know, if Parker was not symptomatic and didn't have any of those impacts early, and then at seven years old, just started losing his hearing, as a family, you then go on a journey of what is causing this, you know? And or as a family who has a baby who fails a hearing screening at birth, you have no nothing genetic, and you're trying to identify what is going on. If we had basic screening to say this baby is infected with CMV at birth, we can then watch them. We can have heightened awareness of if your baby starts missing milestones, if you see, you know, um, lack of head control, severe lack of head control. I mean, Parker didn't really gain head control until he was about eight to 10 months old. I mean, like he just was really, you know, just his head would just flop, um, you know, um, not crawling or walking or babbling, those type of things. When you start missing those milestones, get that child in to early intervention and start receiving those services because congenital CMV is an automatic qualifier for early intervention services for Sooner Start in Oklahoma. And so if we know that early, we can, we can have an assessment and a referral done, have that assessment, and maybe that baby doesn't, isn't missing milestones. Fantastic, but at least that resource is there if that delay starts to happen, we can have that intervention early and have positive outcomes for that baby, um, for that child, you know, as that baby grows and becomes a child and as an adult, we have that intervention early to help change some of those neural pathways to overcome some of the effects that the CMB may have had on that baby. You know, as a, as a brand new parent of a symptomatic baby who has congenital CMB and has that diagnosis of, you have congenital CMB, well, what can you tell me about it? Well, we can tell you that we don't know how it's going to impact him. We can tell you that it might take three years, four years before you really find out. I'm sorry, but we really can't tell you much. That's hard. Um, I think of the emotional impact um, and the mental health impact that that has. Um, it's significant. It really, truly is significant. You know, and when we heard that, me working in the health department, being familiar with early intervention and Sooner Start, because not everybody is, and I know that, you know, I had resources at my fingertips to be able to have the interventions that were necessary for Parker. And so for that family that's just hearing congenital CMV, what in the world does that mean? I, I think the very first thing that that means is to call your health department and ask for um, Sooner Start and get a referral and get started with Sooner Start. That's what that means to me. You know, unfortunately, like I said, the scope and the impact of congenital CMV can be so incredibly broad. Nothing to unfortunately all the way to death. It can be fatal. 
And so, and everything and anything in between. So a baby that's born does not have to be in the NICU to be assessed for CMV. So let's say I'm taking home my newborn baby and maybe I just want him tested for CMV so that I can see uh, what would you recommend or how do you go about doing that as a parent? Yeah, so really the, um, you know, as a parent being an advocate for um, the health of your child, I, am, I feel very strongly about that. You can go into your pediatrician's office and ask for a saliva test. And that test is very non-invasive. They just do a swab inside the mouth, kind of like a Q-tip, where they're just gathering saliva and that saliva can be um, tested. That's a very non-invasive. Also, you can have your um, baby tested by a urine culture. Urine is pretty much the preferred confirmatory test, but we know with newborns, getting a urine culture is sometimes incredibly difficult. That's how you get that diagnosis or that um, definitive. And for a baby to have a diagnosis of congenital CMV, that test and that diagnosis has to be done within the first 21 days of life. So that two-week appointment would be, if it wasn't done in the hospital, um, what it, when it would have to be done to in, in order to confirm that it was congenital CMV. Now, one of the things that I am pushing for and moving towards is universal screening. What I want to happen is every single baby born in Oklahoma to be tested for CMV during that newborn screening, um, those newborn screening tests. You know, we do the heel stick and we get information from that and we do, um, we test for eyesight and do the PKU and we do all kinds of different, just a swath of different tests. And what I am wanting to see is that testing for congenital CMV happens during that time. Um, the test is very, very, very inexpensive. And when I say very, like less than $50 inexpensive um, for a test, a routine test to be done. But the impact that you can have if that baby is tested early with intervention can equate to millions and millions of dollars. Any kind of intervention would make all the difference. Absolutely. So how would we go about advocating for this test to be put on our uh, screenings? So, um, you know, the State Department of Health is responsible for newborn screening in the state of Oklahoma. And there is a committee of individuals who meet on a routine basis that guide what is on our newborn screening panel. Um, and so, I mean, the first thing would be is to call your health department and say, hey, are you testing? We know that the answer is no. Um, communicate with newborn screening, the necessity, talking to legislature, legislators, um, your senator, your representative, and say, hey, did you know about this? Did you know that there's things we can do about this? Because ultimately, that's my um, goal is to get um, this to be standardized, whether that's through legislation or through rule adoption. And so um, I think working, having to work both avenues is, is incredibly important to make that change happen. And there is dialogue on the national level about getting congenital CMV added to um, the recommended universal screening panel at the federal level. 
Um, there has been a submission by the National CMB Foundation in conjunction with a multitude of other organizations um, recommending it. And right now where we're at in that process is it's under evaluation um, by that committee. And so, um, you know, they've, they've had that recommendation um, and that submission for about 18 months and COVID completely, you know, changed everything. Um, and so trying, as we get back into a normalcy of, of our life, um, we're hopeful that maybe um, that recommendation will come sooner rather than later. But I mean, that, that would be huge if we could get that on uh, the federal panel of recommendations. So that would be big. Absolutely. And then, you know, if it gets on the federal, then the state has to adopt it. So, I mean, it's not an automatic, but if you have it on the federal, it gives a lot of leverage to being able to get it on the state panel. Yeah. You work for this, the health department, the state department of health. And just to be clear, your job had nothing to do with CMV prior to to your son's diagnosis. Is that right? So you really knew nothing about it. You became an expert as a result of being a parent to a child who has CMV. Absolutely. Um, yes, I worked in public health. I have a master's of public health degree, and I didn't know anything about cytomegalovirus until, I mean, I had heard it like in college microbiology class, but didn't really remember anything about it. My knowledge has come through experience as a parent and learning everything and anything that I could when we got that diagnosis. Um, and so really it's been eight years that I have been completely submersed into what's going on with CMV, what's going on at the state level, the local level, the national level, advocating, talking really to anybody and everybody who will listen to me about congenital CMV. I mean, um, I do, I am an Alliance chair for the National CMV Foundation for the state of Oklahoma. Um, and so, and through OFN, being willing to talk to that parent who gets that diagnosis and providing that one-on-one, -on -one, this is my experience. Um, I know that it's scary, you know, being willing to do that, being willing to, I've done community baby showers where you talk to pregnant moms. I've um, gone to the Capitol and talked to my representatives. I've had awareness runs, you know, um, networking with other families who have the same diagnosis. And I will tell you, of the children that I know in Oklahoma, none of them are exactly like Parker. Um, and nationally and internationally, none of them are exactly like Parker. Are there some same similar things? Absolutely. But none of our children are exactly the same. And, you know, as I was saying about Parker himself, is he is he's unique and he is he is the only Parker Gluck. Um, and I think that that's not only individually as who he is as a, as, as a human being, but also him and his diagnosis. Um, you know, you can have two babies with similar backgrounds, but their outcomes can be incredibly different and their effect and impact can be incredibly different. Um, and so that's just the wonderful um, nature of us being humans and in the way that our bodies are. I was going to say viruses are very unique, aren't they? <laughs> the they are, you know, and, and in this, this world of living with a virus that has dramatically impacted our lives for the past year and a half, I will tell you, had I known some 
basic things that I could have done when I was pregnant with Parker so that a virus would not significantly, significantly impact my child, I would have done it in a heartbeat. And these are very easy, simple behavior modifications. Yeah, you know, share some of those with us because I know that that's something um, as you know, Department of Health, we're pushing for some of these very simple concepts. And I know you spoke about them in the previous podcast that you had yes. done with us, but I think it's very important to continue to reinforce that with, you know, not only us as a community, but as moms who may be pregnant or, you know, moms that uh, are thinking about uh, having a child. So yeah, let's run Absolutely. through these. Absolutely. So those, those very, very, very simple behavior modifications for 40 weeks, that's what we're talking about. We're talking 40 weeks. We're not talking a lifetime we're talking 40 weeks. When you are pregnant, making sure that we are minimizing um, contact with saliva and bodily fluids from young children. If you have a young child, you know, or been around a young child, you know that that young child, they, they slobber, they drool, they wanna give all of the open mouth kisses. Yes, the, the snot, the, all of those bodily fluids that, um, are so wonderful about that those young children ages one to four minimizing the contact with bodily fluids not allowing your toddler to kiss you on the mouth not kissing your toddler on the mouth kissing your toddler on the cheek on the forehead to minimize that saliva um, ensuring that we have incredibly effective hand washing technique making sure that if we wipe the nose we wipe the drool we wipe the slobber all of those things that we are washing our hands effectively. 15-20 seconds hot soapy water, that's what we're looking at. And then we're not sharing utensils, we're not sharing drinks with those toddlers. We know that toddlers, that's what they want to do. You know, when um, my children were little, you know, whatever is on mom's plate, for whatever reason, has this neon flashing sign to them that says, this is so much better than what the same exact thing on their plate, and not sharing those utensils. You know, um, not picking up that pacifier that falls on the ground and saying, oh, I'm just gonna wipe it off by putting it in my mouth, not minimizing those things. That's all we're asking. If you're around, um, and honestly, your risk is far greater for the child who has not been diagnosed with congenital CMV than it is for the child who is diagnosed with CMV. Because being around a child who is diagnosed with CMV you subconsciously are going to make those um, behavioral modifications and intent consciously making those decisions. When you don't know, that's when you don't, you know, and I was a very avid hand washer. I mean, I work in public health. I am a hand washer, um, but I will tell you, I shared drinks and foods with my toddler. Up to 70% of young children in a daycare setting um, are shedding, CMV or cytomegalovirus at any given time. I'm a working mom. My, my child, my toddler was in daycare. Um, if you're a daycare worker, making sure that you're not using um, diaper wipes to clean a surface, you're actually using a Lysol wipe or something with a disinfectant um, and you're washing your hands, you know, because that's an occupational health risk for women who work, young women or pregnant women, um, who work in a daycare setting, that's an occupational risk for them. And so, um, you know, the, just those easy behavioral changes can move mountains in regards to minimizing um, the number of babies impacted by congenital CMV. 
great tips, regardless of whether it's a CMV issue or not, but being able to focus on that the, during the 40 weeks of pregnancy is so key exactly. for sure. So you have been impactful for Oklahoma Family Network as far as being able to support other moms that are now newly um, walking the path with a child with CMV. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you could just talk about some of the things that you've done in the community to help educate. And I'm just wondering if you can kind of talk about some of the things that you do for families and how bringing them together or bringing the knowledge and sharing the knowledge has been impactful. So yeah, absolutely. You know, um, I met Heather um, with OFN uh, when I was just soon after Parker had gotten out of the NICU and we just sat down and had a conversation and I told her then that I want to be available to any other family who is um, just starting on this journey because that's truly um, what this is, is it's a journey. Um, any family of a child who has um, medical complications or medical needs, it's a journey. Um, and I wanted to, I told her I wanted to be available for any family. And so I have shared not only with OFN, but I've shared with Sooner Start. So the resource coordinators with Sooner Start, the providers with Sooner Start at the state level, um, know that I am willing to speak to anybody, um, any family that has a new diagnosis. Um, I've shared with my pediatrician. I've shared, you know, really with public health. Um, since I do work for public health and I work for the state health department, I pretty much made it known if you know of anybody who has a child, you know, if you're providing services to a child um, that has congenital CMV, please just give them my information. Um, and so being just a resource and I've had many a phone calls of a brand new mom saying, I'm just scared. Tell me what to expect. What have you done? Um, you know, and just being a resource and in that person to lean on um, for a phone call. Hey, did you notice this? Is this something I should be worried about? Those type of calls or the two hour phone call of just really trying to calm the nerves in those type of things. Other things that I've done, um, and I am certainly not unique in the aspect of families who advocate by any means. Um, you know, what I have done is I have done, like I said, ba community baby showers and talking to pregnant women. I have done education for public health professionals so that those individuals who are providing children's first services or parent pro services or services in a, in a county health department can provide some basic education on CMV. Um, I have done awareness walks and runs where I raise um, money for the National CMV Foundation. Um, I am an alliance chair for the state of Oklahoma, um, part of a national network where really we're just trying to be an extender to increase awareness um, because truly that is one of my passions is increasing awareness about congenital CMV you know, a flyer, passing out a flyer. Um, I helped the State Department of Health develop um, an educational campaign a couple years ago and share, sharing our story. You know, sharing our story sometimes can be the most profound impact um, for another family who is being impacted is just hearing the story of somebody who is, is walking that journey parallel to theirs or similar to theirs um, because of diagnosis. You know, there is now at the State Department of Health level there is a awareness brochure on congenital CMV and posters um, on congenital CMV that have been shared with OBs 
and pediatricians and providers. The past two years, the State Department of Health has had an informational campaign on their social media accounts about CMV, you know, just basic information about congenital CMV. Um, there's been some videos that have been created um, and developed some commercials, print, radio, and television commercials um, that have been developed out of just really truly me saying, hey, I want to talk about CMV. And then the next time saying, hey, I want to talk about CMV and just continuing to pound the pavement of saying, hey, let's talk about CMV. Let's talk about this risk for pregnant moms. Let's talk about this public health issue that we're currently not addressing at the level that we should. I'm, I'm wondering if what is the responsibility for um, the OBs in this? Or do you feel like there's a responsibility for the OBs? I think that there is a significant responsibility of OBs. Um, unfortunately, the American Council on Obstetrics and Gynecology has not been as positive with their um, support of education. Um, because what I've heard many, many times is, well, there's nothing we can do about it. Mm. Um, but that's not true. There are things we can do. There are those behavior modifications, um, those basic public health interventions. Um, and then if a woman is diagnosed because she is symptomatic or asymptomatic, um, and she is identified that she has an active CMV infection, there are actually antivirals that she can take being pregnant that can lessen and or almost eliminate the impact to her unborn child. That's huge. And then if a baby is diagnosed with congenital CMV, they can go on antiviral medication to minimize the impact on hearing and minimize the impact on neurologic involvement. And so those are things that we can do, as well as early intervention. And so I will tell you, um, when I was pregnant with Parker, overall, it was very unremarkable. I mean, I was healthy for the most part. I felt well, felt far better than I did with my previous pregnancy. Um, but I did have, um, which I thought was allergies at the time, and I had gone to the quick care clinic multiple times of, sore throat, sore ears, just not feeling great. And all I was told is, oh, it's allergies, don't worry about it. But had we tested, had we, you know, had my OB said, you know, maybe we should test and see if you have an active CMV infection. Um, you know, could it have changed the fact that I had a CMV infection? No. Could I have gone on antivirals? And eight years ago, that was not even as um, common as it is now, and it's still not super common, um, but we could have done that, could have minimized the impact, um, as well as we could have watched and been a little bit more aware. Um, you know, also, I feel that there's a responsibility of this is my body and my baby. Give me the information and allow me to do with it what I feel I need to. Just educate me because if, if I know better to not share those drinks, to not share those utensils, to have a little bit more um, awareness of my hand hygiene while I'm pregnant, allow me to make that decision instead of just saying, well, there's nothing we can do, so we don't even need to, we don't need to worry you about it. I think that, and I've heard that many, many times. 
is well there's so much um in re when you're pregnant that you have to worry about that this is one that we don't feel that we really can do anything about so we're not going to worry the woman with that that's not your place my it's your place to tell me what my risks are and my place to do with that information what i feel is necessary you know we edge the ob educates about not changing kitty litter toxoplasmosis the incidence of toxoplasmosis is like 0.0001 or something like that. I mean, that's not a direct um, incidence rate, but um, it's very, very, very small. We hear about um, not eating deli meat, listeria, and the impact of listeria on pregnancies. But we don't hear about the potential threat that your toddler that you see every single day may have on your pregnancy or your unborn child, that is baffling to me. Um, you know, just educate me and let me know so that I can make the right decision. And not everybody's going to take that information um, and do anything with it, but there are women who will. And I think that it needs to be part of that, at least that discussion and say, one in 200 um, babies are infected, but not everybody's affected. These are the things that you can um, expect if, if your baby is affected. These are the behaviors that you can change today so that way you minimize your risk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so technically, we, we probably don't even have accurate uh, numbers on any of this since we do not do any of the uh, newborn screenings with all of them. So. Correct. Wow. Um, you know, and there have been some very targeted research um, projects, not only in the United States, but internationally. And I think the more we do, the more research we have, and the more universal screening that happens, I think that we will probably find that the incidence or the number of um, births infected is probably higher. And then tying back, you know, my child lost their hearing at seven years old. Well, we can tie back it's because of congenital CMV um, versus not ever having a reason why. Yeah, which would be very impactful for even a parent looking for um, just answers. So Correct. absolutely, wow. Thank you so much for today. I know you are just crazy busy with everything in life. And I'm just so incredibly hopeful that our conversation today is one that just resonates with not only a family that's in the same position, but maybe also the providers as they help families navigate through this, uh, through their pregnancy and, and, and with their new babies. So thank you again. I really appreciate it. And, and I hope you'll join us again sometime soon. You know, like I said, I can talk for hours about CMB. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405-271-5072.